high in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 126 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I am here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, I've got a two-parter for you this time. All right, so I'm looking for the reliever who had a 1.26 ERA for the 2007 Giants. And if you don't get it, I have a hint. So wait for the hint. A 1.26 ERA for the 2007 Giants? Yeah, correct. So that would have been Bruce Bochy's first year. That was the Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron year. Gosh, I'm trying to think. 1.27 out of the bullpen. Or I'm sorry, 1.26 because it's episode 126. 1.26. Oh, okay, got it. Uh, let's see. Uh, hmm. Maybe uh, some weird left. How about Scott Ayer? That is a good guess. But here comes the hint. He was really sweaty. Uh, Patrick Ewing. (laughs) (laughs) It was Tyler Walker. Tyler Walker is uh, he he came over for 15 games from the Rays after leaving the Giants. You know, the Giants wanted it back. He had a very good run at the end of the season. Uh, I just remember him for two things. One, his magnificent Houdini act uh, with the bases loaded and nobody out in Detroit. Uh, And two, Dude was extra sweaty. And he's a Cal guy. And I, what I most associate with Tyler Walker is there was the time that the Giants were using him as a closer and Felipe Alou was the manager. And Tyler was getting a lot of work, so he was sweating a lot. And he might have just pitched for like the fifth day out of, out of six or something. And someone asked Felipe, are you worried about how much you're using him? And, and his reply was, this is the cow we are milking. <laughs> <laughs> That is that is one way to put it. That is one way to put yes. it. No, I'm, yes. I will go on record and say Tyler Walker, good giant. Uh, born in San Francisco, one of the rare giants who was actually born in the city. Uh, good giant, good giant. Yeah, and uh, and he still is around every now and again. Went back to Calc, finished his degree. Um, I'm uh, living in Marin now, I believe. But um, just a good guy, just a very very good guy, and um, uh, a pleasure to to be around. Always always puts a smile on your face when you see him at the ballpark. Not that we see anybody at the ballpark these days, but uh, but hopefully he'll make a cameo here and there whenever we're able to do those things again. If the market allowed, uh, I would have a full time podcast about the 2007 2008 Giants. However, let's move on to the 2021 Giants. That's actually well why we are here, and so. Far so good. I mean, like they, they the last time we talked, it was they had uh, just salvaged a game against the Marlins and then they went into Philadelphia and took a series. So it's a three and three road trip. And I, I think unless you're the Dodgers or unless you're some sort of super team, any 500 road trip is good news, especially going to the East Coast and having a couple games that started at 10 a.m., you know, West Coast body clock time. Um, we've seen so many times the Giants have gone east and then just it's just been a thud. You know, you, you could they couldn't do anything uh, right or or they, their offense completely ground to a halt. And, and we saw a couple games where the offense was pretty functional, um, especially the, the the really nice win they had in Philly. Um you know, where Buster Posey hit two homers and, and they, they looked like one of the better offensive teams in the league, which is what we thought maybe they might be. So 
Um, I think that Philadelphia series, even though they weren't able to complete the sweep and, and kind of made a lot of errors in a messy game and, and the, the weather was messy, it was just uh, there was a lot of going on uh, in the last game. Uh, but still, taking two of three from a pretty good opponent and a pretty tough place to play um, and, and going three and three in your first foray east, I, I think you take that. Gabe Kapler said, hey, I'm never going to do cartwheels over a three and three road trip. But, you know, I think that's a pretty solid showing. Absolutely. And when I kind of dove into why the Giants weren't hitting, I was looking at batted ball data. I was sort of looking at the, the heat maps of where they were getting pitched. And I compared it to the pitches the Dodgers were seeing. And it just seemed like the Giants were facing pitchers who were able to hit the corners, able to hit the strikes that they didn't want to swing at more effectively than pitchers probably should. And so my conclusion was at some point they're going to run into some pitchers who miss the corners. At some point they're going to run into a preponderance of pitchers who just leave that pitch over the plate. And boy, did the Phillies bullpen come through in that regard because the Phillies bullpen was beleaguered last year. It had a great start to this year, but they were serving up pitches to say like Wilmer Flores, uh, to Estella, to Buster Posey, and the Giants weren't missing them. I think that's the difference. Yeah, and as much as Gabe Kapler said, oh, I'm really taking no special you know, pride in winning a series against the team that fired me and all this other stuff, and I'm focused on the Giants, you know a little part of him had to be going, ha, 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 I don't have to manage this Phillies bullpen anymore. <laughs> Uh, which is funny because one of the guys uh, who was in the, his Phillies bullpen was uh, Jose Alvarez, who, who pitched very, very well for the Giants against the Phillies. So I'm sure that part is uh, the fact the bullpen is sort of stabilizing a little bit has to be a little bit of a sign of relief. Yeah, the bullpen was, you know, it was imperfect on the road trip, to be sure. There was the blown save on Saturday. Uh, they had their moments. Camilo Duvall was finally touched for his first earned run. But at the same time, it's... Like like we've talked about before, it's a bullpen that Gabe Kapler seems to have a a, a little bit of a handle on. It's it's not a complicated, tricky bullpen that you need to do uh, seven dimensional backgammon on. It's this guy here, this guy here. If I need five innings from the bullpen, this guy comes in here. If I need three innings, this guy comes in here. It, there's a pattern to it. It's not like you're waking up every Giants game and going, you know, what in the, you know, fresh hell are we going to see today? It's it just makes sense. Yeah, and and obviously they needed the bullpen quite a bit more because. For the first time, we saw the rotation break down a little bit. You know, Logan Webb was not sharp at all. Anthony DiScalfani uh, struggled, gave up a three-run homer early. And we had guys who didn't make it through the fifth inning for the first time all season. And so they needed a few more bridge guys, and they needed to, um, you know, get more length out of people uh, and, and lean a little bit more on that bullpen. And, and you know, for as, as bad as they played in the series finale in Philadelphia, you look at Wilmer Flores, you know, uh, misreading a ball and, 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 and running into a force out. Mauricio Dubon making it out on the bases, coming off the base. Uh, Donovan Solano gets hurt on, on a ball he should have scored from second base on, uh, and, and he pulls up lame. He leaves the game. That's not a mistake. It's just a misfortune. And then the Giants end up stranding that run. Uh, you've got, gosh, I mean, uh, a lot of leadoff walks. You've got Alex Dickerson running after a ball, rolling to the wall like he's late for the bus, which is never a good, a good sign. Um, and that led to to a run. I mean, so many mistakes and, and misplays and, and things that could have been tightened up. And yet they lost a one run game. I mean, that they should have gotten boat raced playing like that. And uh, and I think a lot of that is, you know, the bullpen keeps them in in games. And that that's that's uh, if this offense starts doing what it should be doing. Having a bullpen that keeps you in games is is going to be a pretty valuable skill. Yeah, and I didn't want to make a big deal of it on Twitter because it, it, without context, it seems like whining and it seems just like homerism. But the Phillies had, I got to say, about six, seven infield hits in the series. Uh, and that's not including the doinks. They just had 
the weirdest balls in play series that I can remember for an opposing team where there would be a shortstop standing right above second base and whoops, there goes the ball in the shortstop position. If the shortstop was right there, whoops, so there goes the ball right over second base. I mean, that's making an excuse and I don't want to do that because the Giants won the, the series, so it's not that important. It just seemed to me like there were a lot of extenuating circumstances. I, I think the Giants hit the ball well and hit the ball into a lot of outs. I think the Giants just really outplayed the Phillies that series. Yeah, I would agree with that. And 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 then you look at the impact that the bench had and, and, and we kind of knew that this was going to be um, a really good bench and, and, and offer a lot of value. I mean, right now you've got um, their pinch hitters uh, are, are only batting 156, right? But they've got five homers. They hit, They led the major leagues with four pinch homers last year in 60 games. They've already got five this year in 18 games. And this is the one that I love. When Darren Ruff hit his homer, that was the 16th pinch homer in the major leagues this season. Half of them are owned by either the Giants or Pablo Sandoval. Because Pablo's <laughs> got three for the Atlanta Braves. So uh, they got eight between them. And, and that maybe that, that will even out. But I think the franchise record, I looked it up, was, was 15 in 2001. And Barry only had one of them, by the way. And I, I think it's a pretty good bet that they're going to race right past that. That's funny. I did not know the low batting average part of, of, of their performance. It's like they're all Rob Deere with the Captain America super serum. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're just like a, a parody of themselves. But it's a, it's a solid bench. And it, it speaks to what we were talking about before the season where point out the Giants' worst hitter. And I think to this point, it's been the backup catcher, Kirk Casale. He's had a little bit of a rough start. But just in general, like if you're going to project a full season from all of these players, who's the worst hitter? And it's tough to find a guy where he comes up to the plate and you're like, oh, boy, this guy again. Like, that guy doesn't exist on the Giants. Yeah, and that's why the Solano injury is, you know, the first thing that Gabe Kapler mentioned wasn't, oh, we're going to really have to struggle to fill in his spot at second base, you know, assuming that he's going to go on the injured list with the the calf strain, which, you know, going off, off guys who've had this in the past, sometimes it can be mild and you're Mike Kostremski and you only miss 10 days. Sometimes it can be a little more severe and you're Cody Ross at the end of spring training and you miss a month. Uh, so, you know, I guess hold a good thought that Solano's not out for long. But the first thing he mentioned wasn't that they're going to have trouble filling in at second base. They got plenty of people who can fill in at second base. It's just, you're going to take someone else off that bench to play where you normally would have played Donovan Solano. And that leaves you with one fewer person on that bench. And and that weakening that bench is, is a big deal to this team because that is one of their team strengths. And I'll, I'll tell you one more thing as I'm looking at these pinch hitting numbers. This is pretty astounding. So yeah, five home runs out of a total of seven pinch hits. And one of them's a double, one of them's a triple. They don't have a single pinch single this season. Seven hits all for extra bases. That's pretty wild. That is wild. That is wild. It's a good point about Donovan Solano. And so go back to the 2014 season where you have Marco Scudero, you're thinking he's going to play and then whoops, Marco Scudero is not available. He, he's not going to be available again. The Giants back then had to go, ah, Dan Ugla. You know what I mean? And then, you know, okay, that didn't work out. Okay, okay, oh, oh boy, oh boy, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? The Giants don't have to like go, okay, gosh, we got to get Tyro Estrada up. They can bring up an outfielder 
if Solano is hurt because the outfielder can shift. Uh, can Now you've got Dubon maybe playing second base or he's there in case Dubon has to play second base, but you still have Flores, you still have Lestella. Like, it's weird. A second baseman gets hurt. You can do whatever you want still. That's how the Giants are built. Yeah, you don't have to go out and get, you know, Justin Smoke or... Dan Ugla or <laughs> yes. um, or Scooter Jeanette or all of these people that were like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. You, I totally forgot about you, Scooter Jeanette. Right? Yeah. It's one of those things where uh, they used to scoop up someone randomly just to, to be a Band-Aid uh, who has something on the back of their baseball card that they show that they could potentially offer. And and now th- there's more depth. I mean, that, that was an organizational priority. And, um, you know, I, we know that they were a little thin at shortstop and they went out and made a trade uh, to give them a little AAA depth there. But um, center field, uh, we know, is not uh, a position where they currently have a ton of upper level depth, although Elliot Ramos keeps hitting at the alternate site. Um, so, but overall, I think that this is a team that can cover uh, a lot of uh eventualities and circumstances and I mean we've already seen it Brandon Crawford's got a little side issue right now Solano's going to head to the injured list Uh, uh, you know guys get nicked up Buster Posey got hit by a pitch and couldn't catch for a couple days Um, and you know they're that that's what you deal with as as a as any team will deal with over a long season, and I think your ability to, to cover yourself is uh, without you know having a huge drop off from from who you're missing. I mean that that's a huge luxury. Let me ask you a question because I I go over it and it seems so obvious in my head that this is all intentional. That you get a guy like Lestella, you get a guy like Flores who can at least fill in at third for a second. You get a guy like Solano who can do the same. Dubon who can play any infield position and center field. How much of this, it seems like it's intentional. Like, okay, this is what the Giants' plan is, is to have a bunch of, you know, mix and match parts uh, in in the event of calamity. But, or is it just, I mean, if Tommy LaStella could just play one position, would they still have him? If, you know, if he were just a second baseman, maybe could fill in at third, would they still have him because of his bat-to-ball skills? Is it like a coincidence, a happy coincidence, or is this all part of the plan? I mean, I think it's some of both. If 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 you've got the skills that are compelling enough and you only play first base, but you're a fit for the roster, then I think, yeah, you'd be a player that they would consider. But I think, you know, they try to look holistically at, okay, how can we use you and and how can we get you in the lineup as much as possible? Well, if you can play these other positions uh, or you can cover us at these other positions, then that makes you even more valuable. So I think I think maybe as they're sort of going through their calculation for, um, you know, to evaluate a player and, and how valuable they are, yeah, their, their utility in the field, I think they probably play that up as a bigger value point than maybe some other teams. And I mean, you know, this if you have a perfect scenario, you've got eight stud all-star everyday players that you're never going to want to take out of the lineup because, you know, nobody on a left-handed portion of a platoon is going to do better than Mike Trout, right? But right. the Giants don't have those players. I mean, they have Mike Yastrzemski probably and, and Evan Longoria maybe, uh, who still needs some days because he's in his mid-30s. Uh, and Buster's a catcher, so he's not going to play every day. Um but yeah, I think they had to design themselves this way and, and, and round out their roster this way because they had complementary guys already. That you don't you don't have everyday guys that are going to block any other um, second baseman from playing because you've got uh, I don't know na- name the best second baseman in the majors, DJ LeMahieu over there. Um, so you know it, it it works for now. Whether that's their long term strategy, I think 
remains to be seen as they develop minor league players and, and hopefully they develop uh, I'm sure they hope they develop players that are going to be those kind of Mike Trout type players. Mostly I'm just looking for validation because I as as I've mentioned often I'm a genius fantasy baseball player and uh, one of my one of my things is that I love guys who can qualify at multiple positions. I love uh, having a Jeff McNeil or a Chris Taylor or a Mauricio Dubon even. Uh, so I'm looking for validation of my own genius. Is that fair? That's very fair. I By the way, I have Dean <laughs> Lamette. I have um, oh. I have Kip Brian Hayes. Um, I had Alex Bregman, who was on the COVID list. Oh, I've got Ketel Marte, who got off to a great start, and now he's on the injured list as well. Yeah, I, I do not want to look at my team at all. This is a giant-centric podcast. At the same time, the Padres are fascinating to me because it really seems like someone you know, in the 1960s or 70s really did something at a burial ground that they should not have done because they have built this roster and it just seems like a a hand is coming out of the earth and just taking their players from them one by one. They have the worst injury luck. And I don't know, maybe it's like an organizational thing where you can't call it luck. They they put off Tommy John surgery for Lamette to, to have him ready for the season. Maybe that wasn't the best decision. At the same time, the Padres looked like they were escaping a curse and boy, it looks like they haven't quite done that yet. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Morey Hone is heading to Tommy John. Yeah. Mike Clevenger, it was a big move, and boom, he goes down. So, yeah, keep Blake Snell and you Darvish wrapped in bubble wrap or something. Um, there's still so much talent there. I mean, uh, you know, is it Casey Weathers, David Weathers' kid? He's He's got great stuff, too, and we don't even talk about him. They really have a lot of talent, and you talk about depth. I mean, they, we haven't even seen Mackenzie Gore yet, and he might be the best left-handed starting pitcher in the minor leagues. So, uh, you know, decent chance we see him at some point this season too uh that would be ryan weathers and the only reason i'm correcting you is because it allows me to bring up casey weathers uh with whom the rockies used their eighth overall pick in the 2007 mlb amateur draft the 10th overall pick was a a fellow by the name of madison bumgarner Ah. and if the rockies had decided you know what we don't need a a major league ready college reliever right now let's take this high school lefty like the giants might not have a championship yet. Wow. Yeah. The Rockies have taken some real duds in front of players that uh, are going to be kind of like inner circle great giants. (laughs) Guys who won multiple World Series. Um, hmm. Well, I guess that stuff rather, fascinates me. You'd rather be the Padres and have some bad injury luck with guys who are impact major leaguers than than kind of you know fudge it up from the get go like the Rockies have done. <laughs> All right. Well, let's switch gears. I I wanted to talk about Logan Webb just for a second before we moved on. Uh, Logan Webb in the spring was dominant. You know, he was raising expectations. He was just looking like a guy who could strike out the side in any given inning. Not so much this, the start of the season. What are you seeing from him? Because to me, he looks like a guy who just needs command and he doesn't have it right now. And you just aren't sure if he's ever going to find it or find it soon. Is is that your read on it? I don't know. It's hard to crawl inside anybody's head, right? Um, Right. I just think that every major league player deals with some doubts deep down, even if they don't show it, even if they don't express it. You know, I'm sure Fernando Tetis Jr., he looks like the most confident person on the planet. There are times when he doubts himself, especially if he's going out there, you know, wondering what his shoulder is going to do. But you generally don't acknowledge it. Uh, You don't talk a lot about it. But the Giants talk about Logan Webb's confidence a lot. 
And when they bring it up and they talk about it, you know it's got to be a big issue and it's got to be something that he's dealing with. And, uh, you know, getting him to really feel like his stuff is good enough as long as he fills it up in the zone, that's a hard thing to do, man. I mean, I, the only analogy, and I use this as an athletic analogy from my own experience uh, because it's so limited, is golf. You know, and I think, okay, you know, the ball's sitting right there. I know that I can, you know, hit it on the green, or I know I can, I can, I can uh, clear that water. That I only need to hit it 100 yards over that water. But it's still, you, you stand over that ball and you just think that, oh man, you think of all the bad things that can happen, and that's tough, man. It, it's tough to just be disciplined and in your thinking and confident. And I, I think a big part of it is, you know, if he doesn't show that he can do it as a starter and be consistent. You know, I think that relief will be a good fallback option for him, especially because he won't have to think so much about setting up hitters. Um, and he's got stuff that'll play. But, you know, getting him in a good place mentally was such a big part of spring training. It's the reason they opened him as the three starter instead of the four, I I, I believe, because they wanted him to face the Mariners and not the Padres in his first start. Um, and, you know, they got him off to a decent start in Seattle, but it's kind of been a little bit of backsliding since then. And, and I, I think it's going to be good for him if Johnny Cueto comes back and comes back healthy and they can transition Webb to the bullpen and, and maybe get him some confidence and some success in that role and then you leave open the possibility you could bring him back. I, I just think that would be probably the best path to getting Logan Webb into being a real functional asset in, in this uh, on this on this uh, pitching staff. Yeah, I, the golf analogy is good. I know exactly what you mean. When I'm lining up for a putt, I'm thinking, man, if I could only keep this on the green. Um, <laughs> no, but the Logan Webb is one of the more fascinating pitchers I've watched in a while because it, it really does seem like he's made strides with his stuff. It, it seems like his sinker, you see how it can be a plus-plus pitch. The changeup, you see how that can be a plus-plus pitch. And you're seeing it miss bats. And you're, when it's working, it's the template's right there in front of you. And it's just, you see Buster Posey's glove just moving all over the zone. It sets up here. He's catching it over here. It, I'm just, it, it almost reminds me of Jonathan Sanchez. And that might be an inappropriate uh, uh, analogy. But at the same time, that's the last pitcher I remember watching like this, where you just want you just want to get in there and, and you know, drive like Ratatouille, drive him and, and like make those pitches <laughs> hit the corner. You know, and it's just, it's, it seems like he's so close and yet so far away. Yeah. I mean, you look at his walk totals and they're not, they're not nutty. Uh, you know, in 2020, he did hit seven batters, which led the National League. That's, mm. that's an under the radar wow. thing. Um, so when he misses, he misses by a lot, apparently. But 24 walks in 54 innings, okay, that's not that great, you know. Um, but he's walking four batters per nine. Now, that's too high. He's striking out, you know, uh, about a batter an inning, which is up from where it had been in the past. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't think he's a guy who can be effectively wild because I don't think with Jonathan Sanchez, it was that very um, almost languid uh, arm action and it was deceptive. And then the ball got on you so quick. Uh, he really had great stuff. You talk to people who caught him. I remember talking to Eli Whiteside, uh, um, you know, going back to um, the story I wrote about Sanchez's no hitter in 2009, when I went down to Mexico to find him uh, to write a story about the 10 year anniversary. And Eli still to this day is like, he had the best stuff I think I've ever caught. And this is a guy who caught Tim Lincecum. Um, so, you know, to have that kind of stuff, you can be effectively wild for sure. Um, I don't know if Logan Webb's stuff is that good to be effectively wild. I think he's got to um, execute. Um, you know, the stuff has the kind of movement uh, that that should be elite, 
um, you know, the, especially the changeup, when you look into the um, kind of the analytics of the changeup, it, it's got as much downward movement as any changeup in the major leagues. Uh, but a lot of times when you have the ball that moves a ton, um, that's when you do struggle to, to throw strikes. Harleen Garcia is going through that right now, too. His, his fastball cuts as much as any fastball in the major leagues. And right now he's having trouble getting it where it needs to go. Um, so that's uh, that's the challenge. You, you, plus movement is awesome. It's great. It's what you want. But you have to be able to shape the pitch in a way that, that uh, uh, you intend to. And I mean, it, sometimes it's that simple. It, it, movement plus command is really the secret recipe. That is a, a really good distinction. The, the kind of stuff that's great stuff and then the great stuff that can be effectively wild. I hadn't, I hadn't made that distinction before. That, that's why you get the big bucks. <laughs> Talk to my agent about that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so when Logan Webb goes back to the bullpen and the plan is maybe to use him in shorter bursts when Johnny Cueto is healthy, who goes? I'm looking at the current bullpen and the obvious answer might be Camilo Duvall. At the same time, I see Gabe Kapler kind of getting a little comfort with him, even though he gave up the home run to Bryce Harper. I can see him being a new toy for Gabe Kapler in a way that Tyler Rogers is in a much different very different way, but just like a guy you can put in and get swings and misses in a little bit of a security blanket. If Duvall keeps pitching well, let's say, over the next week, would there be a chance that Logan Webb might go back to Sacramento or the alternate site to hone his craft? Yeah, I think it's possible. You bring up a great question and a great point. And in a lot of ways, Duvall is kind of stepping into the role that they had for Reyes Maranta, the right-hander who could give you some high-octane stuff. And then you had Matt Whistler, who's your right-hander who just feeds you tons of, of sliders and gets grounders. And then you have your Tyler Rogers, who is your right-hander, who is like no other right-hander in the major leagues. So definitely, I think in terms of bullpen roles, it's like a sitcom. You have the goofy next-door neighbor with the floppy hat, and you have you know you have these various roles that are kind of cliches. And, and one of those roles in this bullpen is the right-hander who throws gas. And you know Maranta's down right now, so that's Duvall. And maybe there will be a time when you know they come up on an opponent, or maybe the rotation is struggling to give you innings, and you need a right-hander who can give you more long relief than be kind of of a sprint guy. So maybe Webb would make more sense. I think a lot of it will probably be circumstantial to just how the pitching staff is performing and how healthy everybody else is and just what they need. And if it's bulk innings, then I think Webb's a better fit. And if Marant is back and he's throwing hard, then maybe he's the guy. And if it's Duvall who continues mowing people down, and certainly he gave up a homer to Bryce Harper, but you know, no shame in that, then maybe he's a guy who continues to establish himself. But you know, it's just nice that they have options to to be able to tailor their staff in different ways, depending on what their needs are. Yeah, these are the buckets that Gabe Kapler was talking about. Buckets. Buckets. And one thing that has become clear over the start of the season, uh, Matt Whistler, he had a rough start. His last two outings in Philly were were outstanding. He just, you know, he didn't allow a hit, struck out a pair of batters over two innings. But he seems to me like a guy you pick your spots with. This is, you're looking at, okay, who's coming up? Who, Who are the one, two, three batters in the next inning? Maybe the fourth batter. Okay, I think Whistler's a good fit for those three guys. He's not necessarily someone you just say, okay, seven inning or seventh inning, that that's yours, Matt. Uh, it's it's very much you're trying to pick your spot for him. If you need innings early, if you need the fifth or sixth inning, you might go to him. But you're not just throwing him out there every day, any day, no matter who's up. Where I think Doval might be one of those guys where you don't care if it's Harper, or Hoskins, or, or Bohm. You don't care if it's uh, the seven, eight, nine guys. You can just throw him in against whomever and hope the stuff plays. Yeah, you can just hope that, uh, you know, he gets on another good run and it seems like a kid who doesn't lack for confidence, but 
man, jumping from A ball to the major leagues is still a big jump, even though Bananas. You, know, you have a guy who's at the alternate site and maybe is being developed a little bit differently than than uh, he otherwise would, you know, going through double AA, A, triple A, etc. But the stuff is major league stuff. I mean, that's that's the exciting part. And he seems to really be confident and uh, and composed out there. And yeah, that's, I mean, probably the best thing to come out of this road trip was Camila Duvall, right? And uh um, you know, I, I, if you keep finding players along the way during a season who become contributors, uh, that just makes you stronger. And I, I think that there's a chance, whether it's Gregory Santos or or maybe Elliot Ramos at some point, uh, that you know the Giants will have a chance to unearth a few more players uh, from series to series this year that, that turn into contributors. That's uh, that's the mark of a club that is making incremental progress toward you know being a contender again the last time we talked on thursday we talked about the upcoming series against the marlins and we made sure to point out that the marlins were no joke that they had a quality team and then they took a series against the giants because they were a quality team so i think this episode we should say the marlins are trash the marlins are awful <laughs> uh the, you know i, I just I, but i do think the marlins are a quality team in a four-game series the giants are going to see a lot of good pitching yeah i mean the, the marlins have a lot of good pitching and and a lot of it's under the radar i mean whether it's uh alcantara or lopez or the rogers the t rogers who is not an identical twin uh, of, <laughs> of, of tyler and taylor uh trevor rogers you know this guy was striking out the world in spring training and, and he's been he's been great this season he's already out jacob de grom he also is the one guy on my fantasy team i'm happy that i have um but uh that's neither here nor there um <laughs> yeah i mean the, the marlins are gonna pitch and and they especially have pitched well in san francisco i, I can think back to like you know whether it's Anibal Sanchez or you go down the list, Jose Fernandez, rest in peace. Uh, it just seems like Mar- the Marlins, whoever they throw, uh, they just uh, they're going to throw like two hit shutouts in San Francisco. Um, so it's it's going to be a challenge, and it's probably going to be a big time challenge physically for these guys because you know they they had to play a day game uh, in Philadelphia, and they don't get a day off, and they jump right into. Uh, a night game to start a series, and we know that they're a little banged up here and there. So, um, yeah, this this will be one where it'll be nice to have the, those depth options, and and um, you know they wanted to give Evan Longoria, I think, a full day off um, uh, the last day in Philly, so he would be fresh for for uh, the, the homestand opener. Ended up having to use him off the bench because Solano got hurt, but. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's going to be an interesting interesting to see just how much energy they come out with today. You mentioning Tyler Rogers, Trevor Rogers, Taylor Rogers gave me horrible flashbacks to when I first became a professional baseball writer because that was the era of Donnie Murphy, David Murphy, and Daniel Murphy. It, it took me. This is before Daniel Murphy became an all star, and it took me like I needed flashcards to remember which one was which. And then you start writing about the Hall of Fame chances at Dale Murphy. Like I, I just I just shuddered. I can't stand it when you have three players like that just call them all casey that's that that's what i've been doing today (laughs) all right this has been episode 126 of the bags and brisby podcast we will be back on monday to talk about how the giants did at the marlins this is uh kind of like groundhog's day it's kind of nice all right but we will be back on monday thank you so much for listening and we'll see you then